Hello, hello. Can we get back to our seats, please? If you guys were in kids' work, I'd take some of your stickers off, honestly. Um, okay, are we all back? Cool. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Dan. Um, just thought many of you won't actually know who I am. I'm Dan, I lead the kids' work here, uh, which means most of the time I'm the one making the noise behind the curtain uh, with all of the kids, um, which is great fun. Um, but I'm going to be talking to you guys for about, I don't know, 30, 30 or so minutes today. Um, and after a time of, I mean, how amazing was that time of praise? I mean, just phenomenal. After a time of praise like that, it feels really weird going into a sermon on anxiety. It's just like, what could be more different than what we've just experienced there? But I feel it's right to do this, um, and we'll see why. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, could you turn to 1 Peter 5? That's what we're going to be looking at today. But as we're talking about anxiety, I figured actually quite an intense topic, quite a deep, heavyweight thing. I thought I'd kind of like try and make the atmosphere a little bit lighter to start with. Uh, can we take that down for the moment, please? Sorry. <laughs> Cheers. Um, I thought I'd make the atmosphere a little bit lighter. I was wondering what some of the weirdest irrational phobias out there were. So I googled top, uh, I don't know, top 100 irrational phobias, and I got like a, a list of 100 weird, kind of scientifically categorised things. They've all got like weird long names, and I chose my favourite seven. And I'm just going to run through them just to kind of like lighten the atmosphere a little bit because we're thinking anxiety. That's going to be a heavyweight topic. I just want to kind of ease us in a bit. So my top seven were autophobia, people who are actually scared of flutes, <laughs> barophobia, fear of gravity, pogonophobia, fear of beards, <laughs> genuphobia, fear of knees, metrophobia, fear of poetry, geniophobia, fear of chins, and then my favourite one, and I'm so annoyed Simon Tarry isn't here today, as far as I can see, because I think it would be hilarious if someone here actually had this phobia. Pelidophobia, fear of bald people. <laughs> I just think it would be hilarious to have someone in church who was actually so scared of bald people that every time Simon Tarry got up, they had to run out the room. But the thing is, we, we laugh about these fears, don't we? We think they're irrational. We can't relate to them, because chances are none of us here are scared of knees. Sod's law is that there's someone here who struggles with that. We'll pray for you after. But the thing is, we can't generally relate to these kind of fears, right? Because we, we think they're irrational. I don't have that. I don't understand that. Maybe you guys can relate to these a little bit more. Will I meet the deadline that I need to meet for work? Will I be able to afford rent next month? Will I actually have a job next year? Will I ever get married? What does God want me to do with my life? Will my mum or dad recover from this sickness? Am I going to have the strength to get through this situation? I don't need to be a prophet to know that many of you will be carrying anxieties today. Many of you who find that actually it just paralyses your life. Everywhere you go, you can't stop thinking about this concern, about this worry. I don't need to be a prophet to know that. But what I do know is that God has spoken prophetically to me in a way that is quite dramatic. I don't usually hear God this clearly, that God actually wants to set many people free here this morning. I genuinely believe that. I'm not just saying that because it's a good thing to say at the beginning of a preach. I genuinely believe that God wants to set many people free from carrying anxieties, carrying burdens about things you have absolutely no control over. I feel there's someone here, I think it's a girl, 
and you are absolutely gripped with a fear of getting cancer. It's not just the healthy, I don't want to get cancer. You're absolutely gripped with it. God wants to set you free today. So there's someone here, I think you're a, you're a parent or maybe a future parent, and you're absolutely terrified of turning out like your parents. You've seen the damage that their parenting has done to you, and your greatest fear, and you're controlled by it, is that you're going to end up like them. So there's a few students here today, you are working under the pressure of parental expectation. Everything you do at uni, you're constantly thinking, will my parents be proud of me? And God wants to set you free from that today. I genuinely believe that. But before we go on, I want to make it clear that if, any, if I'm preaching to anyone today, I'm preaching to myself. Because a lot of the stuff I say today may come across as harsh, it may come across as to the point. I want to make it clear I'm preaching to myself more than anyone else. Because I'm the guy who asks the what-if questions. So some of you who know me a bit better, you might be thinking, well, who the heck are you to be preaching on this? Um, in a sense... I'm probably the best guy because I'm the most anxious. So I've experienced what it, what it is to be anxious. And I've also experienced over the last few weeks the amazing blessing of being able to look at texts from the Bible that make it so clear that actually God's plan for our life is that we would be carefree. Do you know that? God's plan for our life is that we'd be completely and utterly carefree. It's amazing. And so spending the last few weeks preparing this has been such a blessing. So I just want to make that clear at the beginning. I'm preaching to myself as much as to anyone else. But if you've had time to turn to uh, 1 Peter 5, we're going to read now. And if you haven't found it, you never will. Um, the words would have come up on the screen. We'll have them up, but to be honest, they're not that readable. Um, which is an incentive to bring your Bibles along to church. Okay, so let's read. We'll read verses 1 to 7. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open your word today and to just be changed by it. Lord God, I thank you for the evidence, even here in this room, of people who've been changed by your words, people who've been dramatically set free from their sinful lives and have turned to you because they've heard your word, Lord God. And I pray that this morning that you would do something amazing in this place, Lord God. We just, I just feel the, the weight of, um, of this topic, Lord God. And I pray that you'd give me the words to express your heart this morning. I pray you'd help me to do that. And Father, I want to pray for many people to be set free from the grips of worries, from the burdens and anxieties that they carry, Lord God. We want to see many people set free, ultimately, so that we can glorify you, Lord God. pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so what I'm going to do today is very simple. I'm going to look at three lessons that I get from 1 Peter 5 on anxiety, about why, why we should bother fighting anxiety, how we do it, and in fact, how we can be sure that we can overcome it. But for those of you who like, kind of, um, like, you, you like to be able to remember different points, you like taking notes and everything, I've basically got three different actions um, for, for the three different lessons I know. Okay? And the first one is bow, the second one is throw, and the third one is no. Okay, so we've got bow, we're all cool with that, throw, and no. Those are the three lessons I get on anxiety from 1 Peter 5, and we're going to go through them one by one and just look at what this passage tells us. Okay, so number one is bow. Now, 
in this, in this point, we're asking ourselves, well, why should we fight anxiety? What's the big deal with anxiety? Why is it even worth actually doing a whole sermon on this? And obviously, there's the logical reason. No one wants to be anxious. Yeah, no, you don't walk up to someone in a street with a questionnaire and say, look, uh, can I ask you what your aim in life is? They're not going to reply, you know what, I just really want to be anxious. I just want to worry every single day. You know what, that's what I want for my life. No one says that. It's stupid. No one thinks that. And that's a very good reason to fight anxiety in itself. No one wants to be burdened by this constant pressure of life. But actually, interestingly enough, that's not what Peter gives as a reason here. I'm sure that's one of his very good reasons for, for telling people to cast their anxieties onto God. But actually, the, the reason he gives here, which we see in verses 5 and 6, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Then he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties onto him, because he cares for you. Peter's concern, it seems in this passage, is actually the humility of the church. So yes, we, there's a logical reason to not want to be anxious. But actually what this passage is telling us is this. I want you guys to throw your anxieties onto God. Why? Because I want a humble church. God's plan for us as individuals and God's plan for us as a church is that we would grow in maturity, that we would bear fruit, that we'd become mature Christians. And actually one of the, the um, marks of a mature Christian is that they are a humble Christian. As people grow in maturity in Christ, they become more and more humble. So actually, what Peter's concerned with here is that we would be a humble church. And that the ultimate aim of this message, what I want of us is, is to see people miraculously set free from anxiety. But that's only a means to an end. The end is that actually we would be a humble church, a, a church that says, you know what, God, you are sovereign. I'm a created being. A church that says Jesus is the one who should occupy my mind, not my cares, not my anxieties. That's what Peter's aiming for here. So first of all, we need to understand what humility is. Um, and we taught the kids a few months ago um, what humility was and um, why it's so important. And one of the great things about being involved in kids' work is you have to take difficult, profound Bible truths and communicate them in a way that is simple, just like Jesus used to do. And we came up with this illustration that basically we said to the kids, okay, you've got humility and you've got pride. Basically, they are internal actions. They're actions of the heart where actually pride is doing this. Some of you wondered why this table's here. Pride is doing this in your heart. I'm saying, okay, you guys are lower than me. I'm considering you to be lower. I'm considering myself more important. That's what pride is. It's doing that in your heart and saying that to people and saying that to God. Obviously, we wouldn't say that in, in, in those words. We wouldn't say, I consider myself more important than God. But it's basically saying, you know what, God, my worries and my anxieties are more important to me than trusting you. That's what pride says. And so we said to the kids, actually, humility is doing this. Kneeling down. Okay? What I'm doing is I'm lowering myself. That's what the word literally means. It means to lower yourself and saying, actually, I'm going to consider you guys, all of you people sitting here, I'm going to consider you more significant than myself. That's what Paul says. Paul says in Philippians 2, in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. And actually, you say that to God. You say, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to bow down under your mighty hands. I'm going to consider you and your purposes and your plans far more significant than my anxieties, than my needs. I'm going to seek first the kingdom, which is what Jesus tells us to do. In the context of anxiety, he says, seek first the kingdom. And actually, being humble towards God is saying, no, I'm going to 
not focus on my anxieties, I'm not going to focus on my fears, I'm going to focus on you. It's bowing down. That's why I chose the action bow. Okay? Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, so how does that link in terms of anxiety? Obviously, you, you might be able to see how it, how it works. Well, the way it works is this. If you are proud, you're going to find it very hard. Sorry, if you are anxious, you're going to find it very hard to be humble, truly humble. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is this. By definition, pride is looking inwards. Okay, so you're saying, I'm, I'm going to look inside. I'm going to look at my needs, my worries, my cares. When actually what Paul's saying in Philippians 2 is consider others more significant than yourselves. So actually you find that anxiety becomes an obstacle to being humble, which is what Peter desperately wants for his church. And, even, and when it comes to God, ultimately what you're saying, if you're holding on to worries, you're holding on to fears and anxieties, you're saying my cares and my worries are actually more important than trusting God. It sounds harsh, but that's true. I've been through that. Every time I worry about something, Every time I think, what if this happens? What if that happens? Am I going to be able to get through this? Am I going to be able to do that? What I'm doing is saying, God, I don't actually really trust you. And so, guys, it's so important that we nail this issue of humility. So how do we get humility? Obviously, we've got to ask ourselves, how do we get humble then? Well, the wrong answer is to say, right, I need to be humble now. Okay, I'm proud. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm worried. I want, to, I want to get humble. So I'm going to try really hard. Peter says here, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Therefore, I'm going to really try and humble myself. I'm going to bow down physically and praise and everything. I'm going, to, I'm going to try really hard. Well, actually, I'm sorry. I'm really honestly sorry to pull the Greek thing out on you. But if you read this in the original language, it literally says, be humbled under the mighty hand of God. Do you see the subtle difference? On the one hand, you're putting all the effort in. On the other hand, you're looking to someone else and you looking to someone else humbles you. How do we become humble Sunday school answer, we look to Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians 2, so the passage where he says, hum, um, consider others more significant than yourselves. He writes this, he says, have this mind amongst yourselves. Think in this way. He said, have this mind amongst yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was up here, rightly. Every time we put ourselves up, we're somewhere we don't deserve to be. He was rightly up here and higher. He was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How do you become humble? You look to Jesus. There is nothing more humbling, there is nothing that stops pride more than looking at what Jesus did. The guy was God, for goodness sake. He stepped down from heaven to earth and died for us. I mean, if humility is bowing down in your heart, Jesus' face was in the dirt. That is the most extravagant, ridiculous, incredible, but life-saving display of humility you could ever encounter. And for those of you who are here who wouldn't call yourselves a Christian, that is the gospel. That's why we sing. That's why we had that time of praise earlier, saying, God, you're amazing, is because we've understood Jesus did that for me. Jesus humbled himself for me so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be set free. It's amazing. It's the gospel. And so that I, see, I want you guys to see that actually the real reason, ultimately, that Peter writes this, when he says, cast your anxieties onto God, is not just to have a church that is full of carefree people. It's to have a church that is full of humble people. People who understand the gospel, who understand what God's done for them and therefore live their lives in line with it. So that's, what, that's number one, bow. Action number two is throw. 
All right, let's read verses 6 and 7 together. Humble yourselves, so bow, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties onto him, because he cares for you. Notice that he says casting. He doesn't say rolling. He doesn't say dropping. He doesn't say nicely putting on. He says casting. Casting is a word that carries a bit of violence with it, isn't it? You don't, you don't talk about casting without putting effort and decision in. All right? So some of us guys, we need to get more violent about fighting anxiety. And I don't mean physically violent. I mean we need to understand that actually there needs to be a radical decision that takes place where you say, I am not giving in to this worry. I simply am not. You're sticking a stake in the ground. You're saying, I am not going to worry about this. You see, this might help some of you to realise that actually anxiety is a sin. Jesus says, do not be anxious. And as we saw earlier, ultimately being anxious is a lack of trust in God. And Paul writes in Romans, he says, anything that doesn't come from faith, it doesn't come from trust, is sin. And for some of you, that is a, that is a key factor. Because some of you guys are really violent in your battle with sin. And God would want to say, well done to you. But actually, for some of you, realising that sin, that anxiety is actually a sin, for some of you, that will make the difference. You'll be like, ah, oh, I never realised that. I'm going to take this so much more seriously now. Right, now to illustrate this, I've got this ball here, which uh, you can tell my kids worker. Um, this is the ball of anxiety, okay? Uh, imagine all of your problems, all of your worries, everything is on this. So you've got a new job and you're not too sure whether you're going to be able to keep it goes on here right you've just got married and you're like is this going to work goes on here you're starting at university and thinking am I going to be able to survive these three years financially that goes on here okay now Peter talks about casting and we need to understand okay what does it mean to cast your anxieties onto him well I thought has anyone ever played bowls anyone here wow a few people have I thought we're a church of young people no one will play bowls wow we actually have a few so in bowls correct me if I'm wrong You've got these big black balls, and the aim of it is basically to roll the balls along the ground towards this other little ball. Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah that's kind of generally how it works. Right. Too many of us are like bowl players when we deal with anxiety. In other words, what we do is this. We say, okay, I've got this anxiety. God, would you take it? That's it. I'll give it over to you, and uh, thank you. Amen. Just go pick it back up. And we go and pick it back up. Why? Because there wasn't the determination. Bowl players aren't standing there thinking, I'm going to get this as far as I can, because that's not the point of the game. They're not thinking, I want to throw this away as far as I can. They're going to lose the game if they do that, and probably damage quite a few people in, in, in the course of it. What we need to be like are shot put players. Have you ever seen shot put players in the Olympics? Yeah, it's a violent, heavyweight sport with people who are very tough, and make very loud noises when they throw the balls. Basically, they've got this lump of metal, okay, a, very, a really heavy lump of metal, and they've decided, my aim, however much training it takes, is to get this lump of metal as far away from me as I can. They've decided, I am not going to stay in contact with this lump of metal, I'm throwing it as far as I can, because that's what I need to do. So instead of rolling it, in fact, our action towards anxiety should be more like this. <laughs> so 
Some of you guys need to get more violent with anxiety. Some of you guys give in too easily. When it creeps back, when you said, okay, I'm casting that away, and it comes back, you need to keep throwing it. And who do we throw it on? Obviously, we've got to get this clear. It's not just throwing it as hard as, hard as you can on anything. We're throwing it onto God. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, that is the best place to throw your anxieties. But I just want to say, some of us need to get violent when it comes to dealing with this. As we realise that actually it will paralyse our lives. Speaking of experience, it will paralyse your life. If you are constantly under this weight of anxiety and worrying, guys, we need to get violent about this. Now, that's all very nice. You think, okay, cool, good illustration. I don't want to be a bowl player. I want to be a shot put player when it comes to anxiety. How do you practically do that, Dan? You're probably wondering. Well, let's turn to Philippians 4. Um, so Paul is writing in Philippians 4, uh, writing to the church in Philippi, which is in the Mediterranean area somewhere. Okay, Philippians 4, verse 6. And many of you will know this verse. Paul says, do not be anxious about what? Anything. Now, if you're anything like me, you read this verse and you think, ah, Paul, you forgot the exception. I found the exception to this verse, Paul. You did not have my degree results in mind when you wrote Philippians. You didn't have this new job that I've got in mind when you wrote Philippians. You didn't have in mind the fact that I can't pay my rent next month when you wrote Philippians. Do you guys know where Paul was when he wrote Philippians? He was in prison. He had no freedom. In fact, if there's anyone in the Bible, apart from Jesus, who has the right to be anxious, surely Paul is allowed to be anxious. The guy was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was torn apart with whips, he had sleepless nights, he never knew what was going to happen to him. In fact, there's a, there's a verse in Acts which just blows my mind every time I read it. Paul is speaking to a load of elders from Ephesus in Acts 20, and he says, now I go to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me. Apart from this, that the Spirit tells me that in every city I go to, persecution and imprisonment await me. The guy's only assurance in life was that he would get persecuted and put in prison. And yet this guy writes, don't be anxious about anything. I think if we're going to take someone as our authority on that, Paul is a good guy to take as an authority. Because he says, I'm being a shot put player. I'm not bowling anxiety. When I get chucked in prison, when I get put, uh, chained up and ready to be flogged, I am casting this ball of anxiety as far as I can from me. He's made a decision, a very radical decision, which says, I am not going to let any of this play on my mind. I am throwing it onto God. And instead, what does he say? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Steph preached on anxiety a few months ago, and he said, that he said something that I just found so profound. He said, too many Christians say, why pray when you can be anxious? When actually what we should be saying is, why be anxious when you can pray? Is that your reflex when you suddenly find a care coming up? When you suddenly find yourself worrying about something? Is your reflex to pray? Paul's reflex was, Paul wrote to this church, Instead of worrying, why don't you pray? Do you ever find that actually when you're, when you're carrying something, in a, a burden or a worry, and you say, you know what, I'm actually going to pray about this. I'm going to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I know you know how to get me through this. 
Father, please help me. Do you find that it's just that lifts the anxiety off so much of the time? Because actually what you're doing is you're focusing your mind on God. You're focusing your mind on what he can do and not on your impossible, the impossibility that's coming your way. So that's the first thing he says, by prayer and supplication. And he says, with thanksgiving. Now, I was going to kind of use my personal experience for this, but actually with the time of praise we had was just so amazing. I thought that itself would serve as an example for this. So at the beginning of the service, Rich got us to all think of something that God had done in our lives and to share that with our neighbour. I thought that was a brilliant thing to do at the beginning. And then we just had this amazing time of giving thanks to God, saying, oh, my dwelling place will always be with you. We were thanking God for a good half hour or so. It was just amazing. Did you find it was very difficult to be anxious during that time? I found it very difficult to be worried about this sermon during that time. Why? Because I was focusing on God. I was giving thanks to him. And so Paul says, actually, no, what you should do, instead of being anxious, you decide, I'm going to cast it onto God, and instead I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give thanks. Sometimes, you, sometimes what I do is I, I walk into church, and I'll be anxious or something, and what I've done is I've decided I am physically going to make myself worship God sometimes. Sometimes I just don't feel like doing it, but I said I will physically make myself worship God because I know how how amazing it is when you give thanks that everything just kind of becomes so much easier. So I'm the guy who claps in the slow songs in the wrong places. I'm that guy. You know when a crescendo's coming up? I'm the guy clapping the verse before, going, yes, yes. Why? Because I can't clap in time? No, I actually have a fairly good sense of rhythm. The reason I do that is because I'm doing, I'm doing what the psalmist says. I'm saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And sometimes my mind doesn't want to follow. I'm saying, you are blooming well following. I'm going to praise God. My, in my, if my mind will not praise, my body is going to drag my mind into it. And those times I just find that that anxiety I walked with in, into, the, into church just vanishes. Amazing. Sometimes you might see me, I'm going to be really self-conscious about people watching me during praise now, but you might see me at the beginning of praise kind of standing there saying words that don't seem to be in time with the song. Again, it's not because of my sense of rhythm. <laughs> a lot of the time what I'm doing is I'm saying, you know what, I don't feel like praising God now and I feel like worrying about this certain thing. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak scripture to myself. So I might stand there and I might speak Ephesians 1. I might say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. And by the time I get to that line, I'm in it. You can't speak scripture to yourself like that without anxiety just becoming so much less of an issue. So that's what it means. That's part of what it means to cast your anxiety. It means taking a concrete decision, saying, I'm going to view anxiety as sin. And because I view it as sin, I'm going to treat it with the same violence that I treat every other sin. And then actually saying, I'm going to choose to lob this big ball of worries as far away as I can from myself. And instead, I'm going to replace it with prayer and I'm going to replace it with thanksgiving. Yeah? Is it your reflex to replace anxiety with prayer and thanksgiving? I'd encourage you, make it your reflex. Next time you start worrying about something, make it your reflex to say, I'm going to turn my mind to prayer and praise. I promise you, it will make a massive difference. It will, it will lift up a burden. Okay, so we've got bow. The reason we want to be, hum want to be um, fighting anxiety is ultimately because we want to be a mature people, a, a humble people. We've got throw, which is we want to be violent against sin. And then finally, I've got no. And in a sense, this point is the most important because you cannot do the other two without this one. 
And the thing is this, how do we know that if we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, and if we say, I'm going to throw my anxieties onto him, how do we know that he is actually going to take care of them and that he's not just going to throw them straight back our way? Prepare to hear four of the most profound yet well-known words. And for some of you, this is going to set you free even as you hear them. He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. That song we were singing earlier, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made, he cares for you. Isn't that just amazing? I feel there's someone here, um, I think it's a girl, and you are going through a very tough time at the moment. I don't know what it is, but it's as if I could see you getting into your room in the evening and all you can do is break down into tears and just say, God, I can't go through this. Today he wants you to know he cares for you. He wants you to know that. See, my question to you is this. Do you know God? I want to ask that to two groups of people here today. Some of you here might not call yourselves Christians or you might think, I'm not too sure about the whole God thing. Well, to you I'd like to say, do you know God? Because we know God. It's the most amazing, life-changing experience ever. And everything we've talked about, humbling yourselves under God's mighty hand, about throwing your anxieties, about living carefree lives, which is just one of the amazing experiences of being a Christian, the only way that that is possible is because of what we looked at earlier, where Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That is the only reason that any of us here could ever throw our anxieties onto God, because Jesus took our punishment for our sin and our rebellion so that actually we could come to know God. And so if that's you today, I would love to introduce you to God. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. And if, if that's you, I'd love to talk to you after, if you want to talk to one of the elders or the friend who brought you. We would love to introduce you to God and say, you must get to know him. What will it mean? Well, in one sense, it's very easy to respond. How do you respond? You say, okay, I repent from my sins. I turn away from what I've been doing. I turn away from my rebellion from God. I get baptised. And then I say, Jesus, you're Lord, I'm following you. In that sense, it's very easy. In another sense, it's very hard. Why? Because you kind of got to jump through loops and study the Bible and all that kind of stuff? No. But it demands your everything. Jesus demands our everything. And so if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, I want to get to know God. I would love to talk to you after and we just kind of figure out if you're at the right place. Or talk to one of the elders, but we would love to introduce you to God. But I just want to put that out there. It is the easiest thing to do, but the hardest thing to do. But it is so worth it. It is so worth it, because you get to know God. I want to speak to a second group of people, which would be the rest of us. So all of us who are Christians, you may have been Christians for a few weeks, a few months, maybe your whole life almost. And I want to ask you the same question. Do you know God? Do you know God? In a sense, yes, we all know God. We've, become, we've come to know him. But I want to ask you, are you growing in your knowledge of God? Are you constantly growing in your knowledge of God? When Paul writes to the church in Colossae, one of the things he writes is he says, I'm praying for you guys that you might grow in the knowledge of God. For Paul, it's so important that we grow in the knowledge of God. And actually, the more you grow in the knowledge of God, the easier it is to cast your anxieties onto him. Why? Well, I trust my parents because I know them. So I find it easy to talk to my parents and say, you know what, I've got this issue I'm going through. I'll talk to them about it. 
If someone stops me in the street who I don't know and says, you know what, can I have your mobile phone a sec to check something? I'm not going to trust that person because I don't know him. Whereas I trust my parents because I know them and I'm growing to know them even more. And so I want to ask you guys, do you know God more? Do these four words, he cares for you, mean more to you now than they meant when you first became a Christian? Are you growing in the knowledge of God? Guys, how much do you read this thing? How much do you get this book into your life? Do you, sp- do, do you make it your life's aim to know God better? Do you, do you read it daily? Do you know it back to front, inside out? Do you make it your aim to know it? Because it changes your life, honestly. It cha- I'm not saying that as someone who's, uh, who, who pays a lot of money so I can read it full time, pretty much. I'm not saying that as a theology student. I'm saying that as a brother in Christ. Do you read this book? Do you get to know it? Do you, get to in- do you encounter God through it? Do you get to know it? Do you memorise it? I'd encourage some of you, memorise parts of it. It has made a dramatic difference in my life. Memorising parts of scripture, saying I'm going to commit them to memory so that when anxieties come up, when troubles come up, I don't have to be flicking through the concordance. I say, no, I've got a verse for this. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Yeah? Get those verses in your mind. Get to know the Bible. Paul knew the Bible. Paul knew God. And so I want to finish on this. In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, we did a series on 1 Corinthians a while ago. And so Paul's writing to a church in Corinth. And uh, if you were there for that series, you might remember that Corinthian church was a bit of an odd church. They had public meetings that did more harm than good. They had people who were getting drunk during communion. They had sexual immorality in the church and they were proud of it. They had people who were suing one another. They had people who were, um, who were, um, were denying the resurrection. It was a weird church. If there was any church that Paul should be worried about, it would be the Corinthian church. And he spends a whole letter telling them off for loads of stuff that they're doing. It's 15 chapters of Paul saying, guys, get your act together. What the heck are you doing? It's, I find it amazing how he starts this letter. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you. So this is verse four. Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the big one. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew God, and that allowed him to look at the church in Corinth, who, on the face of it, were an absolute mess, and say, I am confident that God is going to bring you through. Why? Because I trust in you guys? No, because I know God. I know that when God begins a work, he brings it to completion. So I want to ask you guys, do you know God? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Do you make it your aim to know God better? Guys, I'm pleading with you, please get to know this book. It will change your life, I promise you. It will dramatically change your life. And you'll find as you get to know it more, even over the last few weeks as I've been reading it, I've just found myself becoming less and less anxious. Why? Because I'm getting to know God more. And as you get to know God more, your anxieties just become pointless. You suddenly realise, oh, that's nothing compared to God. What on earth is money compared to God? What on earth is a degree compared to God? What on earth is my job compared to what God can do? And as you read the Bible, as you get scripture in your mind, you'll find actually anxiety just goes. It's just natural. 
So I ask you, do you know God? So we've got bow, throw and know. And the most important of these is know. Get to know God. I wonder if the band could come back up now. We're going to respond. What we're going to do is we're going to respond by praising. I thought, how can we, how can we kind of respond to this? Um, I thought, should we do like a, a time where we pray for people? Well, actually, I thought the best response to this, for some of you, you need to do business with God. Some of you are like, you're like, oh my goodness, I need someone to pray with me. If that's you, we've got some guys from uh, the pastoral team. We have, we, can we have them praying? They'll be wearing lanyards. Um, it says, able to pray. But my, my hunch is that for most of you, actually, what we need to do now is to focus on God. Yeah? And as we focus on God, as we praise God, those anxieties you brought in, you will be able to cast them onto him. Yeah? So I wonder if we can stand.